0: Hey, everybody, this is Alex.
1: This is Natasha.
0: And we are back with our equity listener survey. This is the second time we are doing this. We are incredibly hyped.
1: We want to do another temperature check because we have gotten a ton of new listeners. Thank you. And our loyal listeners, we always want to make sure we are doing our best work for you
0: so if you want to take the survey it's just a couple of clicks it's really really quick there is a link pinned to the top of the equity pod twitter account there is a post over on techcrunch.com if you're looking just my author page if you want and essentially just fill it out and we'll make the show better it's pretty one-to-one
1: And to sweeten the deal, for those who like surprises, if you complete the survey, you will be entered to win an equity gift basket. The basket is a mystery to you and to us right now, (laughs) but the things you might possibly win would be TechCrunch socks, Disrupt Tickets, tickets to our first live stream recording of the show.
0: We're also offering a timeshare with our Webby Award, a Danny Crichton transition carved into a single block of aluminium. And uh, (laughs) if we nag people enough, maybe, maybe, I can't promise this, an equity t-shirt, we are still on our crusade for merch after all these years but please fill out the survey it makes us super smart and super happy and so we appreciate it and we appreciate you and with that let's do a show Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I'm joined today by Danny Crichton. Danny, hello. Hi, Alex. How are you? Uh, Caffeinated, alive. It's no longer raining and I have a sleeping puppy on the floor. So frankly, I'm pretty good. I'm even better because we also have Natasha Moscarenas here. Natasha, hello.
1: The reason that I look like a puppy that just woke up is because I went for a run this morning and it rained all over me for no reason. So I will take your state of being Alex and add my own annoyance at it from
0: Jersey. (laughs) What you can't see is that your video is actually a little bit low-res inside of this new platform we're using to record, and so I actually can't tell that your hair is messy. So you look fine. Pixelated. (laughs) It looks blocky.
2: (laughs) It looks blocky. It looks very blocky. Looks like an HD decompression (laughs) algorithm style going on. I hear that's very 2021. But as long as you ran to the Krispy Kreme for their IPO this week, because I'll tell you, Donuts selling sugar and flour... For $2 each when the ingredients cost three cents has to be one of the best business models of all time. It's it's absolutely true. And I just
0: want to give an apology to everyone for the fact that we haven't written up uh, lots and lots about the Oatly and Duncan IPOs. It's not because we don't (laughs) want to have fun. It's because there's so much going on that we have to cover that we haven't had a chance to have fun. And on that note, this show is jam-packed. We have Stack Overflow sold to Process. We have the shutdown of Katera and how that happened. That's a story. Etsy bought Depop. Amazon is allowing customers to file lawsuits. We have Unit, a startup that is helping everyone unionize. And, of course, we have funding rounds from ChipperCash, the African fintech that just raised a $100 million in a single go. And uh, one concern which is Danny Crichton's uh, anxiety startup. It's going to be great. But we are going <laughs> to kick off with the Stack Overflow sale. Uh, guys, I, I've been familiar with Stack Overflow for 10 million years, but I, I'm curious if I'm the the norm or not. So, Natasha, Stack Overflow, what before this news broke, what was your level of familiarity?
1: I'll be honest, I had not paid much attention to it ever. I think when I started seeing tweets about it, I started realizing, okay, this is what those engineers go to in the middle of the day and spend time on. And so it, it was a kind of like that vague company that you forget as a company in a way.
0: Fair enough. So Stack Overflow is a place, uh, it's, it's kind of like an online code repository, Danny, a, a place where you can go find snippets and tips and kind of like uh, unstick yourself if you're a developer writing code.
2: No, I think that's exactly right. And, and they have an amazing SEO. So any problem you have, I'm a Python developer. So every time you run into a bug, you just like copy and paste, you know, the exception into Google, the first is Stack Overflow. There's been a huge debate. There's a highlighted answer and you're like, oh, that's a solution. Boom. I can just keep going. Like if you actually think about GDP growth startups, Mm. this startup Stack Overflow has probably done more for GDP productivity numbers than almost any other.
0: And by that, what Danny means to say is that it raises the overall productivity of developers by saving them six hours of staring at a problem trying to figure out the small error they made, which by the way, if this had existed when I was a child and I was learning C++ from an enormous book the size of like, you know, one of those Gutenberg Bibles, I probably (laughs) would have gotten better at developing. And I probably wouldn't be here. I'd probably instead um, have more hair. Uh, but guys, they sold for $1.8 billion to Process. Kind of an interesting deal. I didn't think the company was worth that much. Did not, not, not a diss, just didn't know. But it turns out Process is part of the the broader NASPERS world. And NASPERS, of course, is the South African media conglomerate, seems fair. And essentially, they now own this company they're going to run as an independent entity. Danny, first read on Process plus Stack Overflow. I don't have an opinion off the top. I'm curious if you do.
2: I don't know if I have a strong opinion. I mean, Stack Overflow is is sort of a unique business in that, you know, it is a media company of sorts. It's a discussion forum. So in some ways, it's like Reddit, probably maybe a good comp for a company. But they've had increasingly new revenue sources on everything from recruiting to adverse sales. I mean, once you've owned this group of developers, there's a lot of ways to monetize them outside of just kind of media economics. And so I think, you know, Process coming in, being attached to NASPERS famously, not specifically Process, but NASPERS itself famously invested in Tencent very, very early. And made tens of billions of dollars off that deal. I think the hope here is because they own the, the developer environment, there's just a lot of ways to increase monetization, grow this business, grow it quite well. You know, 100 million uniques a month. Yeah. Right. This isn't a small company.
0: But, you know, this is actually process's biggest deal in the online learning space, which, you know, makes this kind of almost an ed tech deal, Natasha, which is deliberately in your wheelhouse.
1: Totally. I mean, it's an edtech and community deal, and I think that definitely is the magic combination in 2021. Some context on Process and its edtech investments: it already owns stakes in two edtech companies, Udemy and Codecademy, and Process Ventures, their venture arm, poured some more around 500 million into a Churchill SPAC that is planning to bring Skillsoft and Global Knowledge Training to upskilling reskilling platforms public. And so, Process is making a statement. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a very large statement. I mean, that's a lot of money to put into a single startup sector.
2: They also have this geographical perspective, right? So they're looking to expand specifically Stack Overflow into new markets like India, particularly on the revenue side, which makes sense because I think NASPERS, among a lot of the international media conglomerates, really has this emerging markets and, and new frontiers kind of approach to investing. They've never been sort of going back towards Europe. They've been expanding to China, India, the rest of Africa. I can imagine them doing the exact same formula here with Stack Overflow.
0: All right. uh, As a final note on this, apparently, according to @codinghorror, a very fine Twitter user, this deal minted 61 millionaires, which is not a stat that you actually get very often. So it's hard to say if that's an infrequent result for an acquisition of this
2: size, but it did stand out to me. Before we move on, huge win for New York City down here. So New York City-based company based in Financial District. Um, It's sort of, I, I don't think people know Stack Overflow as sort of a New York company, but it is a New York success story. $2 $2 billion almost exit, which is great, central to a lot of the developer ecosystem. But on the flip side, the things that are built up and are worth a lot, sometimes you'd build stuff up and you'd tear them down, they're worth nothing. And that would be Katerra, which we found out this week from SoftBank and some news um, that it is not just going to like peter out. It is not just laying off some folks to kind of continue operations with a, a skeleton crew. It is going bankrupt and firing everyone tomorrow, or I guess today, uh, as this uh, show goes to recording. Um, what do we think about this? Because this this company had raised a lot of money.
0: Yeah. So if look, you've probably heard of Katara because SoftBank Vision Fund backed rapid growth. It, it ended up becoming a relatively large company in in revenue terms. And it's been on the show. It's been on the site. Natasha, I feel like we've been covering this company for years and years and years now. P- people know about Katerra, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's received more than $2 billion in funding, had last year at least around 8,000 employees globally, not a casual startup folding. But we would probably all agree that it's probably going to be the most high-profile failure for SoftBank since WeWork. Having those two be the two high-profile losses for SoftBank comes very interestingly because two weeks ago we were talking about all of SoftBank's impressive earnings.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Qatar thing to me is a surprise. The difference though, as Danny kind of pointed out, is that WeWork is still limping along. It's going yeah. public via SPAC in theory, and Katera is actually going to zero. So a little bit of context, Katera was a company that built prefab slabs, if you will, to help facilitate construction projects. And the idea was build those at a central location, ship them to the site, install them, and you can essentially build buildings for 10%, 12 20% less, which is an enormous savings given the, the cost scale of these projects. It was founded by a non-construction guy. According to information porting on this, uh, they wrote a great piece called How Katera's Facade Crumbled that I read You know, prepping for today's show. High spend, high sales, high gloss, low follow through, consistently so. And so, Danny, it, it seems that eventually they couldn't make this business actually function and throw in some... Interesting news over at Greensill, another kind of vision fund backed flop that's been in the news lately. The company just straight up died.
2: I, you know, having talked to a lot of real estate developers on this and what are known as ADUs, accessory drilling units, you know, one of the challenges with building this is um every jurisdiction has different rules, different building codes, different fire codes, different zoning ordinances. One of the challenges with prefab is you can't just build a home and just kind of deploy it anywhere. It has to actually be custom almost every single city in the entire United States. And so I think Katerra always ran into this problem of it grew extremely fast, up to 8,000 employees. Is trying to own this market in three to five years. And, and like most things in real estate, if you'll notice, you know, the two big flops in the SoftBank vision portfolio are both real estate companies, and there's a reason for that. It's very, very hard to scale physical plant assets in a couple of years. I think Katerra is one of these companies similar to like a Theranos where, yes, there's a lot of money. It's a huge vision. It's actually really ambitious. I believe in these companies. I believe in the vision of fast testing. I believe in prefab, but you got to go slower. It just takes time. There's regulations. There's all these pieces, parts you have to figure out. And when you're burning so quickly, yeah. you're just edging out the clock.
0: Yeah. Well, famously, the, the SoftBank Vision Fund, both iterations one and two, backed very modest, slow-growing, you know, minimal gumption startups, the people that were really trying to grind it out on a uh, lifestyle basis. So that, that fits perfectly, Danny. Uh, And that—that's sarcasm if it didn't land. (laughs) Uh, I I I want
2: to say there was. More sarcasm juice, and that one could have been useful.
0: The, the, my problem with sarcasm is it's always very obvious to me when I'm being sarcastic, and then everyone looks at me like I'm just wrong. They're like, "No, that's not that's not correct." If I, if I was like, "Is if I was like bananas, famously a green fruit that you use in apple pie," people would be like, "Alex, no, that's actually not correct." i would like, "Sarcasm." Anyways, uh, no we, we jokes need on. you to do that this time.
2: <laughs> well, talking about green things real quick. So we should also talk yes, about green sill. We We've should. actually yeah. not talked about, I think, green sill. On the podcast, I, I don't think we even really have talked about it on, on TechCrunch. I mean, yeah, this is this is one of the largest business collapses, you know, in the last year or two. Greensill was focused on sort of supply chain finance. So and all the different components and what's known as factor invoicing, giving money in advance for when you need to buy materials, but you don't necessarily have the materials in. It's designed to solve a lot of cash flow problems. You know, traditionally, this is like a big bank problem. It's very slow. It's actually not that helpful because by the time you even get the loan, you're probably already getting the materials. Who cares? Greensill was designed to solve all of that and it is it is also filed for insolvency softbank had invested 1.5 billion in the company in 2019 strangely enough it was actually a backstop to catera as you mentioned alex like it actually was financing <laughs> catera itself so the softbank cross portfolio subsidization of one bad business to another fascinating yeah i
0: mean synergy is is good F- fraud energy <laughs> is bad and so, look, that, that didn't work. I'm sensing a headline. Yeah. Oh. So someone's writing that down. Look, so he, here's the thing about Greensill. It didn't just provide supply chain finance. What it did was it then took the, essentially, the loans it was making, securitized them, and then sold them out. So it's even more complicated than you think because I think Credit Suisse was selling those. I think SoftBank was buying them while it was funding Greensill, which was funding Katerra. Katerra goes into troubles. Uh, Greensill ended up, I think it was like forgiving some loans in exchange for an equity stake. SoftBank had to bail out Katerra. It didn't work. There was a, like a hundred thousand to one recap involved and blah, 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 blah. Both companies are, are, are kaput. It, it turns out that you can't just shout AI and ML. <laughs> about a very, very standard, staid element of the finance world and, and solve all of its problems. And that's how Greensill fell apart. There's more to the story, guys, like David Cameron, the former
2: UK PM, is involved. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a scandal around the world. It's really, it's really bad. It's a huge one. So let's put a pin in that. So obviously, there's been a little bit of a pop going on over in the SoftBank Vision Fund. But if you want a deep pop, that's a positive story, ironically.
1: Danny, fantastic transition. What Danny's talking about is that Etsy is acquiring Depop in a $1.625 billion deal. Depop, for those who don't know, I'll give it a quick explainer. It's kind of like a thrifting online website where you can put your own clothes on there, sell them to other people and vice versa. There's a couple of things here that I think are worth mentioning. One is that 90% of Depop's users are under 26 years old and the company is finding itself as that go-to site during a time when thrifting is really becoming trendy again. When you think of Gen Z, there's like that irony of them also being Amazon users, but also really liking eco-friendly options such as thrifting. And so Etsy going into that was a big bet on Gen Z, which Alex, you kind of mentioned in your story and that fantastic headline earlier this week about the acquisition. When
0: I think about Etsy, I think about like elder millennials and older Doing stuff, right? So to me, the idea of going out there and acquiring Depop, acquiring a younger audience, acquiring maybe a different demographic of, of buyers and sellers makes a lot of sense. I, I tried to do some math uh, on the deal. Now, we know that Depop had revenues of about 70 million last year. So kind of calendar 2020. And that it grew by about 100% in 2020. Now, I expect that growth rate to decelerate. To the pandemic is lifting in parts of the world you know, we're all going out and about a little bit more. Maybe thrifting won't see the same kind of growth it did during the pandemic when we were all at home cleaning out our closets. But it's a little bit of an expensive purchase, frankly, given other multiples that I saw in the market, but not so expensive that I can't make it make sense if this going after the Gen Z market makes so much sense. And so essentially, to me, Depop's sale is really just a bet that Etsy can keep this demographic loyal, grow it. And then probably get some of them to become Etsy users as well, kind of cross-selling, if you will. What, what do you call Etsy? Like, like handmade marketplace? Maybe is that the right?
1: Yeah, I would say handmade marketplace actually is perfect. I have no edit to that.
0: Okay, because its a handmade marketplace plus a thrift marketplace, and they're
2: authentic not authentic goods. And there you go. But not authenticated. <laughs> authentic handmade goods. Okay,
0: well, the the point is, it's not a direct crossover between the two products, but I can see them trying to bring Depop users over into the Etsy world.
1: Totally. I I wrote about a company earlier this year called The Landing that was basically creating customizable mood boards that people could then shop from based on the aesthetic they're drawn to. And I feel like that is reality and the fact that it's still not the way people shop, but it's the way that we kind of want to shop as younger consumers is something that Etsy is also betting on with its acquisition. It's betting on Gen Z wanting more optionality, more creative ways to build up their closets and just not just basics. Like they're literally statement pieces. And I don't want to like put all of Gen Z fashion in one bucket, but I just think that like as consumer habits are changing, seeing a lot of startups playing around with, how shopping looks and feels. And so I would love to see Etsy and Depop combine forces to actually like do something like a mood board or do something like a Pinterest that that is actually powered by things you can buy.
0: I can make fun of Gen Z fashion because (laughs) I don't care. <laughs> I TikTok. I, I, yeah, I read things. I, I don't understand Gen Z fashion. And I, I don't mean this in the sense of, you know, oh, the kids these days. I'm fine with whatever. Bring back, you know, 80s punk. I don't give a shit. But to me, like, Gen Z fashion seems to be like semi self aware, ironic 90s throwbackisms. Every time I see a Gen Zer, I'm like, ah, oh, I can hear the Linkin Park in the background, you know? And so I'm like, yes. why are you bringing back my middle school years? and trying to pass it off as fashion you just look lazy sell it on depop but uh, that's probably just old man alex yeah find <laughs> it on Depop. um look I-, I think this is cool i think it's a good deal it's nice to see a unicorn exit for a london-based company brexit did not kill off the exit market for uk-based startups as we can tell from this but let's bring this back across the pond to not just america but washington state where amazon has decided that it would like to be sued
2: danny it- it's open
0: for for suing <laughs> business
2: well, this this is an evolving story. For years now, Amazon have moved from a class action model to an arbitration model for handling consumer disputes. So if you have an issue with a company, you know, in the old days, you're supposed to sue in most modern worlds, you're supposed to go through an arbitration process. And the idea is this is supposed to be easier to get what you want. It tends to be a little more business-friendly, obviously, because you don't have access to the courts, but the fees are lower. So there's arguments on sort of multiple angles there. So Amazon has always had this sort of arbitration deal. And what's happened over the last year or two is several law firms have basically got their systems and processes in order, the tech stack, if you will, to be able to handle mass arbitration demands. So one example of this is the Amazon Echo was actually recording people. Law <laughs> firms went out, reached out to people who owned an Alexa device, and they basically got tens of thousands, in this case, 75,000 people to file an arbitration demand. Wow. And because under the contracts you on without Amazon, Amazon actually pays the fees for those arbitrations. <laughs> and so the company faced tens and tens of millions of dollars of arbitration fees. And so now they're trying to move back towards class action lawsuits. The same thing actually happened to DoorDash with its own drivers. The company sued to actually move Back from arbitration to class action, Judge William Alsup uh, in the San Francisco court said, you know, no doubt, DoorDash never expected that so many would actually seek arbitration. Instead, in irony upon irony, DoorDash now wishes to resort to a class-wide lawsuit, the very device it denied to the workers to avoid its duty to arbitrate. This hypocrisy will not be blessed. Iconic. And so I just kind of love this story because (laughs) it's like, you know, power to the people, but there's also power to the lawyers. And there's like an absolute tech thing because every one of these lawyers, you have to sign an, you know, an agreement that says that they represent you in these sort of arbitration hearings. So they've managed to scale up their IT infrastructure to sign tens of thousands of contracts to figure out all the data to collect the evidence. And what a world we live yeah, in. Man,
0: all you got to do is plug your DocuSign into your Google Forms via Zapier and uh, right. off you go <laughs> to the, the courthouse. I mean, that's
2: i i still remember a time when lawyers couldn't handle microsoft word oh my god
0: yeah whenever okay so this is a this is a digression but whenever i, I read a lot of news about china i love it whenever like you know bloomberger ft is like uh the ministry for technology in china does not respond to a fax request for comment and i'm always like fax
2: That still exists? (laughs) Like, wow, guys. Yeah. Anyways, uh,
0: the legal profession has come quite a long way, even if the CCP uh, comment request lines have not. Also, as a final note, when we eventually do lose Judge William Alsup, it's going to be a sad day if he ever retires. Because this guy has been making us laugh for, gosh, I feel like as
2: long as I've been covering technology. So... Yeah, shout out to him. He's in all the cases. He's he's got like the best district in the country. Oh,
0: easily,
1: easily. And the one-liners he- are just iconic. Look, I would buy merge with those one-liners. Yes,
2: that's great one-liners. <laughs> he's like a Twitterer before Twitter. But like uh, Alex, you described this as like a legal DDoS attack. I mean, this was sort of you know, taking advantage of a certain term and, and really turning it around on the companies.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I think about it. They essentially spanned them with so many of these things they didn't think that they were going to get. So in my, my read of this is DoorDash said, or thought, it's going to be easier for us to fend off drivers and their complaints if we force them to file individual arbitration. Because at that point, it's always us versus them. We hold all the power. We have all the money. They have nothing. They did this legal DDoS attack, broke that system. Now the drivers are going to be able to band together theoretically you know execute class action lawsuits more frequently against large companies uh, to me it seems like a worker-friendly thing though of course i presume that amazon doordash and everyone else will find some way to screw over the workers because that my friends is where the profit margin is now speaking of that we're going to pivot to unit which is designed to bring the power back to the workers natasha you covered this company which just raised some money i've never heard of a unionizing startup what is going on
1: same here, honestly, which is one of the reasons I wanted to write about it. And it actually raised last July. So it's been a year since uh, it got its first seed funding, but made its way in my inbox anyways. And and the reason I think UNIT is interesting is it helps employees and workers Form a union, organize it, handle that management, but also post getting approved, handles the arbitration, handles a lot of the management of having a union, whether it's voting, um, new member engagement and onboarding. I think units coming at a time when work is going to look wildly different today and tomorrow than it did a year ago. And we're seeing a lot of conversations about worker empowerment become pretty mainstream in Silicon Valley. So the fact that a unionizing as a service company raised venture capital money, it just feels like that headline could never have been written even a year ago or maybe two years ago.
0: Yeah, it raised 1.4 million. So we're not discussing a a vision fund size check here. But uh, Bloomberg Beta, Draper Associates, uh, the Schloff Angel Fund, Haystack, E14, and Gutter capital are the investors in that particular round. I just want to say that I'm generally bullish on the the overall unionization space. And if we can apply technology to make unionizing easier, then uh, I'm all for it. And I think we're seeing a lot more agitation at companies like Alphabet and so forth for better kind of worker representation. Uh, And even inside of our little world to kind of point the finger at ourselves, we're seeing media companies try to not recognize unions. The NYT ones do not recognize this technology guild and so forth. So get over it, deal with unions. All right, two last quick things today. One is around that I that I was most excited about all week, frankly. Chipper Cash in Africa, Danny, P2P startup, sorry, P2P payment startup, allowing people to move money around, raised hundred million dollars, which I think is the probably the biggest round I've ever heard of uh, in Africa, give or take.
2: I think it's uh, now been dubbed the most valuable startup in Africa. But Chipper Cash is a mobile-based, no-fee P2P payment service, so if solving one of the core problems uh, in a continent that lacks a lot of basic banking, a lot of retail banking is 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 lacking. Um, But mobile phones are proliferating and widely available. So, three year old company raised 100 million series C from SVP Capital, which is actually quite interesting, along with Decian's Capital, Rivet Capital, the fintech folks, Bezos Expeditions, One Way Ventures, 500 Startups, Tribe Capital, and and others. What an interesting company. So, they just last raised 30 million in November 2020, obviously doing super, super well. They now have, as of a couple months ago, 80,000 transactions daily. That was a November 2020 stat in June of last year. So, one year ago, they had processed $100 million in payments volume in one month. What an amazing story in terms of it's only three years old. They're already at a massive scale in terms of gross payment volume, real fees going on. I think one of the big questions, and this is sort of where you get into these new business models, is it is a no-fee service. So payments becomes the gateway to getting a lot of people on board, having their money there. There's a shooter drop on like, okay, what's the business model? How do exactly. you, you know go from there?
1: One bit that they are continuing to build out to show that they still have more than enough room to grow is their crypto service. They've been really active in South Africa and Kenya. And because a lot of the individuals and small businesses in those countries are very active in crypto, but its service isn't yet available in Nigeria, which is still the largest market in Africa for crypto. Oh, my God. How many times can I say crypto in one sentence? But um, I, I think that
2: crypto, 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 I can't say it. I can't say it. You just can't. It's too hard. Too many syllables.
1: <laughs> I think that shows that Chipper has a lot more kind of real estate to get to going forward as well. Um, and I have one data point that I heard from the rumblings, which is that Chipper Cash already has offers to raise more money at a much higher valuation. Isn't probably going to do it, but everyone is trying to get into Chipper. So how much chip can a Chipper chip chip?
2: <laughs> wood chip chipped in a wood chip chip wood. Chip. That,
0: that's the worst joke we've ever had on the show, I think. I think that's,
2: that's we've reached
0: the
1: bottom and of the barrel. It. And be,
0: of all people. And be, yeah, Natasha gets 80% of the joke Natasha usually is one. the one on the show that doesn't make the groaners, actually, now that you bring it up. Um, maybe this is because we're all becoming our parents, slowly. All right, um, a couple of things about this that I wanted to bring up. So Chipper Cash, it's a cool amount of money into a very neat company, and that's always fun to talk about. But the reason why this one really caught my eye was the sheer scale of the dollars that it raised compared to how much money we see invested into African startups yearly. Uh, you know, 20, tw- 2019 was like around $2 billion into the continent, give or take. It dipped last year uh, to like $1.5, $1.7 Kind of depends on which numbers you trust. But I mean, this $100 million round could be five percent of the amount of money that goes into startups in africa this year so it's a large round but for its region it's simply staggering uh and i i bet you that africa is going to have a record year for total venture capital investment given what we've seen so far this year and we're seeing more people pay attention to it and the reason why i think chipper cash itself already has uh you know venture capital is circling to put more money into it is whichever company can really bring the broader African population into the more modern fintech world is going to have an enormous advantage to generate tons of money off of you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of people for a very long time. And if they have the momentum that we that we expect them to have based on kind of the transactions and the fact they've raised like three times in the last year, et cetera, et cetera, this could be the company. So chipper cash is one to kind of put in your back pocket as a startup to watch crypto or not. I think this one's a hot one. And speaking of hot things, fires are hot and fires can be a catastrophe, and you need to understand when those are coming to your community, Danny. And after our long digression into the world of disaster tech, some news happened finally.
2: Yeah, so one last concern on the show, one concern raised forty-five <laughs> million from Sampo Holdings, the venture wing of the Japanese insurer company, Sampo. You know, disaster tech, as we talked about on the deep dive episode a week ago. Getting a lot of attention from VCs, a lot more focus going on, obviously, with climate change. Raised 45000000 bucks. million. They're now over $100 million total raised for one concern. They focus on simulation and modeling for disaster scenarios. So if a flood comes into your community, what happens? Who's affected? How do you build resilience? I think we're seeing a lot more of this resilience action going on. Obviously, if you didn't hear the podcast from a week ago, go back in history and find the disaster podcast. And we'll have more coming up.
0: Yeah, yeah. A couple of final concluding housekeeping notes for everybody. If you skip the first 30 seconds of the show, you missed our plea that you take our listener survey. So I'm throwing that in now. It's linked at the top of our Twitter page. Also, it's in the post. Essentially, just click some buttons, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and we can make you a better show because we're always evolving slowly. We just want to evolve in the right direction. And then second, I don't have permission for this, but I'm going to tease it anyways. We're doing a live show. We're doing a live digital taping of equity. So if you want to come watch us before Chris and Grace clean it up with all the swears and all the jokes that don't make it to you uh, intact, uh, we will have details coming up. It's going to be on Hoppin'. It's going to be free. It's going to be hopping. It's going to be a
1: blast. So we'll see you then. In the meantime, goodbye.